So to, uh, to begin, who's your one? How many of you have actually caught on to what it is? L- like raise your hand, like do you know? I know there's supposed to be some people. Okay, who's your one? Contrary to what you might think by reading it, it's not a singles um, series about how to find your one or anything of that nature because we do have some married people here and we do not need to do that. We do not need to teach them how to find their one if they already have their one. So that's not what this is about at all. Um, what it is about is it's a, it's a, it's a series that it is about evangelism and how to, how to reach your one person. Um, to actually make it hit home a little easier, um, Pastor Chuck and the interns are going to do some application the next coming weeks before the sermon to kind of make it hit home for situations that you're, that you're in in your life, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether it's uh, the people that are hard to talk to, um, things of that nature. Um, those are going to be the things that they go over. The things that we want to teach you, obviously, uh, a few weeks ago, we asked you to pray about who your one person would be that you want to see come to know Christ. I want you to imagine uh, with me, I want you to imagine with me, if every Christian, especially in heritage, had their one person that they could name, name to you, that they're not only just thinking about, but they're praying for, um, they're interceding for, they're investing in their lives, they're trying to cross paths with that person, and they're inviting them with the gospel. So this is what Pastor Chuck and the interns are going to do before the sermon coming up uh, the next uh, four weeks after this week. They're going to do applications, uh, illustrations to kind of help you see how you, how you can apply these things wherever you're at in your life. Um, the, there's five different eyes. You identify your person. Pray, God, ask God who you want that one person to be. How many of you know who your one person is already? If you don't, that's fine. The ones who don't know, I want you to be, keep praying and ask God who you want that one person to be that you really want to see God do something in their life and change their heart and bring them uh, into the kingdom so that we'll see them for eternity. I want you, want you to ask God who that one person is that you want to focus on. We can't preach to everyone all the time, so we, we'll, we'll show you in the next coming weeks how... It's not always preaching to crowds of people. It's just bringing to one person. Um, identify that person. Pray, ask God to do that. Um, intercede for that person. Don't just pray about them. We want you to pray for them, like the things that are in their life. Find out what those things are. Pray for them. I want you to, uh, they're going to show you how to be intentional about how to, uh, if you see them in, in the room, see them at work, see them at school. Um, make an intentional uh, action to go talk to them, see what's going on, put yourself in their way. Um, and obviously, we want you to be compassionate enough to tell the, tell the gospel to them. Um, in our small group, we were talking about a little bit that it's not so much that we need boldness. Um, the, way I, well, the way I see it is if we know that lost people are dying and going to hell, it's almost like you see them all and standing in line walking off a cliff it doesn't take an in an, an, uh, an eternity of boldness to go stop someone from jumping off a cliff it takes compassion and caring for that person to go stop them you know you don't have to be bold boldness is the action me and Chuck were talking about that boldness is the action to actually go stop them but it takes a caring heart of I don't want to see people walk off the cliff especially the people that I love and care about, the people that I work with or th- go to school with, things of that nature. So pray for compassion, pray for all those things. But that's what's coming up in the, in the coming weeks. They're going to illustrate um, right before the sermon. So um, to, get, to get started, we'll go ahead and start into the sermon. Who's your one? Who is your one person? Um, I, want, I want to ask you a question, start off with the question. Uh, what would you say here at Heritage is the main core mission of the church what would you say it is in a short phrase if you know it i want you to get your wheels turning what would you say the main core what's the what's the uh, the goal that we're trying to reach at heritage anything what make disciples yeah that's a good one yeah it's exactly it make disciples to know him and to make him known that's good that means it's getting in yeah right radically love our neighbors yep because you're you're loving them and what's the best way to love them Give them the gospel and make them a disciple. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I can sit down now. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> yeah, let's eat. Yeah, it smells good. It's coming up the hallway. So, 
but uh, make disciples to know him and to make him known. That is the main goal. Um, so I want, to, I want to get you another question. I want to get your mind going, uh, get you in, in the right gear. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian? What comes to your mind? What picture comes to your mind? What thought, what set of ideas come to your, eye, uh, to your mind when you hear the word Christian? But to kind of warm you up, I want to have a little fun here. Uh, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word football? Just think, uh, you think of football, you think of a set of ideas, things of that name. Um, this, is, this one's for Chuck. What does Chuck think about when he hears Aaron Rodgers? Aaron stinking Rodgers. That, that's Chuck. So that's what he thinks about every time I'm talking about the Packers and I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers. He's like, Aaron stinking Rodgers. And that comes to his mind every time I talk about any, if you hear the, the name Aaron or if, you, or if you hear the word Rodgers, stinking is going through his, his side of the brain cell. So that's what he thinks about when he hears Aaron Rodgers. It's not stinking. Rodgers. Anyway, but what, what do you, uh, like, what, what comes to your mind when you hear Bernie Sanders supporter like you don't say anything please because there might be some <laughs> there could be some so you have a set of ideas when you think of bernie sanders supporter what what comes when you think of a trump supporter the ideas that that pop into your mind of that person what do you think of what do you think of when you hear star wars what set like what set of ideas or things that you you probably start thinking of the song or something like that? You think of the old movies or you think of the new movies? Uh, you think, well, the new movies are just not as good as the old movies, and uh, this whole set of ideas come into your mind uh, for those things. So to get back to the first question, what what comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian? Like everyone in here has has different backgrounds. You're from different uh, areas of either this state or you've come from another state of where Christianity has a whole different definition. So what do you think when you hear that? You, you could ask, I, I know this from experience. When I used to go to downtown Greenville and witness and get into spiritual conversations with everyone, every single person, almost every single person, I would say nine out of ten people have a different idea of who Jesus is, what Christianity is, um, I'm talking about come up with some, if I were to bring them up, which I can't even remember, it's probably a good thing. It's just outlandish things, and they believe them wholeheartedly because obviously they just haven't read the source. It's just it's stuff that just doesn't make any sense, but they have a whole mindset, a whole uh, thought process behind what a Christian is. Um, it just really all depends on who you ask and what part of the country they came from and how they grew up. Um, here's an interesting fact that you may or may not have known. Uh, the first followers of Jesus weren't called Christians. They weren't called Christians at all. It was a put down from outsiders, the people outside of the church. Uh, they were looking at them and they were like, you just want to be little Christ. You just want to be little Jesus walking around everywhere, don't you? You think you're just like him. It's one of those things. It was a derogatory term given to those people to make fun of them. Um, you, in Acts 11.26, um, you see that the first Christians were known as what? Do you know? As disciples. They were known as disciples. Um, Christian is used in the Bible uh, a grand total. Like this is a, like crazy. Is it going out? Oh, I checked it. Is it, is it going? Oh, okay. I'll just hold on to it. Um, the, um, the word Christian is used for a grand total in the Bible of three times uh, as referring to Christians. Um, Disciple, the word disciple is used in the Bible 281 times. I would say that if you use the word disciple, disciple is a way more accurate description of what a follower of Jesus should look like or what describes them as a person. So we're going to get into that a little bit today. The whole sermon today is about being a disciple, following Jesus, what that looks like and how we play that out. And not just in a word, but how that actually looks in the scripture. The concept of disciple exposes the fact also that many who claim to be Christian are not actually disciples of Jesus because the word Christian has been overly abused nowadays. Because of what I said, if you go downtown and you ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? You'll get a different answer nine out of ten times. So to say that you're a disciple, that doesn't mean we're going to beat you up if you call yourself a Christian. We're, we're, not, we're not planning to do that. But we're just saying, if you 
realize what a disciple of, of Jesus is, it will, it will sink deeper into your heart. So it was Matthew chapter 4, <laughs> uh, verses 18 through 22. That's where we're going to be today. That's where we're going to pull the, the ideas of, uh, or the truth out of the scripture today. So let's go ahead and read that, um, starting at verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother or, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, his, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed them. Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Lord, uh, we love you. Lord, we're thankful for um, making us disciples, bringing us into your kingdom. Lord, show us over this series what it's like to be just like you. Uh, Lord, let us have the dust of your feet on our face. Let it be all over us. Let us follow so closely behind you that we smell like you. We, we, Lord, let, Lord, just, just cover us in, in yourself, Lord. Let us drown in who you are and, and let us go find other people and, and make disciples as you've called us to do. Lord, show us how to do that in a deeper way. Help us to have more understanding. Help us to have compassion and boldness as we go out to find these people. Uh, that you love dearly, and that are, that are uh, called to be in our family. In Jesus' name, amen. So to give a little historical background here, uh, you've probably heard this from Pastor Chuck because he loves this stuff. He loves the historical stuff. So all Hebrew boys went to Torah school at the age of five. Yes, hello? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but all Hebrew boys went to Torah school at the age of five. That's how they learned to read. It's how they learned to write. And they were obeying, teaching them from the time they were young. By age 10, all young boys knew the Torah. And all of the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. After they got to that age, they would go learn. Uh, how many of you know what the Torah is first? Okay, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. If you didn't know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would go learn those things at the age of five by ten. All of them that knew the Torah, they would, all of the best students, not all of the students, but all the best students would go on to learn the rest of the Old Testament in a deeper way. Um, the rest of them, the ones that didn't, the ones who weren't, weren't at the top of the class, they would go uh, learn their family's businesses for, from the time they were young whether that would be fishing, whether that would be uh, carpentry, whatever it was, they would go learn the family business from that time on. At, that, at about the age of 17, if a boy wanted to go on and make a career out of, a, out of religious studies, they would, his next step would be to go find a rabbi. Okay, uh, this made me, made me think about whenever I was a young kid. Whenever I was a young kid, I didn't want to grow up to be a religious leader. That, that's just, it's the mindset of those guys. I, uh, most kids nowadays, they, want, they think, I want to grow up, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a doctor. Um, a lot of guys that are athletic, they, they want to grow up, uh, I want to be like Michael Jordan or LeBron James now for whatever reason. Um, anyway, he's pretty good. But you grow up and you think, I want to be like these people, I want to do this as a job. This was a fantastic like dream of them, uh, of these guys. But these guys back then, that was their dream. They wanted to be a religious leader of the day. They wanted to know the Bible. They wanted to know the religion. They wanted to be the ones teaching. But um, at the age of 17, they would go out to find their next step. If they wanted to go further, they would go out to find a rabbi that they, had, that they admired and basically apply to become one of his disciples. Um, when he would find a rabbi, he would go and sit at his feet. They would go find one. Uh, oh, that's my favorite one. I want to be just like him. And they would go and they would sit at his feet and they would wait they would listen to him teach. They would do all these nature, uh, do all the types of thing of that nature. Um, that was their official request to be their disciple. They would go and sit at their feet. The rabbi would examine them they, uh, with questions and put them through a series of tests to see if he was worthy, if this person was worthy to be their disciple. They'd have people sitting all around all the time, but the, the rabbi would try to pick out the best of even those group and well i think you got potential charles you're gonna come be my disciple 
And they're like, yeah. I get to go a little further. And so they would do those things. But the rabbis could choose. They, had, they, they could choose the smartest, most talented boys to be their disciples. That's what they would do. Another reason the rabbis were so picky is that when they chose a disciple, they were choosing someone whom they believed would be just like them. They were like, I see a lot of potential. I see that Chuck and I have the same brain cell. I, we're going to be, yeah, we're going to do that. Uh, he thinks just like me. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of unction. You know, he's got what, what I have. I want to see him do better. I want him to learn from me. Um, they were so picky because they wanted to do that, but it wasn't just to know what they knew. They wanted them to be just like them. They wanted to be just like these rabbis. But um, the goal of the disciple wasn't just some random thing. The goal of the disciple was, the main thing was to be just just like that rabbi, whoever his name was. Like whoever, whoever it was, their, their superstar guy that they were just like starry-eyed over, the goal was to be just like that rabbi. So the first point here uh, today is um, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. I need to say before I go further, this is, I, we got all of this stuff from J.D. Greer. I need to go ahead and put that out there. Um, this was put out by NAM, the North American Mission Board. I need to go ahead and tell you that. Uh, I'm taking the lion's share of it from there. They put it out so we could use these at church. So I don't want to take credit for it. A lot of it, a lot of the illustrations, things of that nature are ours, you know, but I just want to put that out there that they put it for churches to use. But um, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. In Matthew 4, 18, what it says there, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Okay, what does that even mean? Why, why, do they, why is that significant that they're fishermen? We just went through the whole historical background of what these boys go through and all this stuff. So if they were fishermen, what does that mean? They weren't they weren't the brightest of the group. They knew the Torah. They went through the Torah. They might have went a little bit further. But the fact that they were fishermen meant that they were doing the family business. It means that they weren't the A team. They weren't the first draft. They were the B team or the C team. I remember in high school you had three different kinds. I don't know how they do it now. But you had varsity, JV, junior varsity. And then you had the C team. And everybody always looked at the C team like, those are just the young guys, they're just scrub. Okay, that's who you're dealing with. Okay, they knew some stuff. They knew the principles of the, of the game, so to speak. But they knew the Torah, but they're out fishing. They're not being a religious leader. That's the, the, they were not the top of the class at all. So when Jesus comes by there and he says, hey, you come follow me. And they, they have this rabbi there. Um, and he wasn't just any rabbi. Okay, to go back... Uh, a little bit there were two different kinds of rabbi you had somebody that it was just a rabbi and then you had some that uh, they had what you call shmiha or something like that I, I don't know if I'm even saying that right shmika or I don't speak Hebrew but what it meant was a special authority these guys not only were they masters of the old testament they 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 taught it with authority they said well you think you understand these things but I I know this a little bit deeper. I'm going to tell you what this really means. And so you have these two different kinds of rabbis. You had a regular rabbi and you had a guy that, that taught with authority. So then you had Jesus going around teaching all these different uh, teachings that these other guys had never seen. And that's why they would ask him, from where do you get your authority? Because this was a really tight-knit group of guys and it was hard to get in there. You had to have two rabbis, at least, that had the shmiha that that were in the group of those guys that had the special, like, authority, that they thought that they were just extra um, good, extra anointed, I guess. You had to at least have two guys to uh, ordain these people into this group. And so Jesus was going around teaching. You'd say, you'd say a lot of things. Well, you've heard it said, this, this or that, but I say to you, and he was going around doing this, and these guys were like, who is this guy? Why is it? Where do you get your authority? That's why they would ask him those things. They would say, where did, you get, where did you get this authority to say things like that and to say it in that way? So that's why you would hear, hear people ask him that. So you had this guy who like, potentially was one of these 
special Shmiha guys that had authority, and he's walking by, and they'd already heard him teach, just like you hear uh, Pastor Chuck has said before, that they had heard him teach over and over and over. They just, they're like, well, we are not top of the class. We're just fishermen. And so he's walking by, and he stops by and says, hey, you, you come follow me. Of course you're going to leave your net. You're like, this is what little boys always wanted they wanted to do. I wanted, I want to go have a rabbi. I want to be a disciple. And so they're like, well, this guy's pretty special. I've heard some stuff about him. I'm, I want to, I want to go find out what this is about. I want to, I want to know a little deeper. So of course they would go follow him. And that's not to put off on the fact that the Lord ordained it, because obviously he told Jesus. Jesus went away to pray to find out who he was going to bring with him. But Jesus skipped over all of the wise people of the area. All of the people he could have picked to be his disciples, all of the smartest, all of the brightest, he skipped over them and went and found the fishermen, the ones doing the regular jobs. The, thing, the people that are doing regular everyday life are the people he wanted to be his disciples. Those are the people he wanted. He skipped the philosophers and he went to the least of these in the, in the area. Everybody wanted to know their stuff about being religious, but he went to the people doing the everyday jobs. He chose the B team because his work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities for him. They would come from what he would do through them. A lot of the times I think we feel insufficient because we're like, well, I just don't have the ability to do th- these things. I haven't went to seminary. I haven't been in church all my life. I can't, I don't know all the ins and outs, but that's the reason he picks people that way because his glory is shown brightest through the ones who don't have all of those abilities because if you if you if he were to pick the people who had all of those abilities they could sit there in their pride and say well I see why he picked me you know I, 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 know, I know this I know that um, he could really use me but he choose he chose the people who didn't think much of themselves they were out doing the everyday jobs people with a lot of talent and ability would probably only just get in his way they would just get in his way because they they know what they're doing they know what they're doing. They know all the answers. They know exactly what they're doing. They would never learn to lean on his power. They would be all, always leaning on what they knew how to do. But God wants to use God wants to use you and he wants to use me. None of us none of us in here know have all the knowledge of the Bible. We're not experts in here. None of us are experts on the Bible. But he wants to use you. When he called you into the kingdom and he walked by and called you to be a disciple, the day, the, the time period in which he did that, you remember those times when he did that. He didn't choose you because he saw something good and he cho- chose you just because he chose you to be his. But he wants to use you for the gospel's sake in your family. How many of you have lost family members? I mean, we all have lost family members. He wants to use you in your family. How many of you have lost coworkers? Yeah, we have lost coworkers. How many of you have lost uh, schoolmates, people that you go to school with or went to school with that you know that are lost? I mean, we all have those things, but he wants to use you if you'll be his disciple and stop being a Christian. You know, I want you to make that distinction, to be so close to him like these guys wanted to be that it was an honor to say when someone walked by and said, Chuck's so close to Jesus that, the dust off of his feet is all over his clothes. Like, you know, there wasn't some kind of derogatory thing. It's like, he's following so close to Jesus. Like, he's a real disciple. This is what he's, he's called us to do. This is what we should desire to do. Um, I think that God would probably say, stop making excuses that you're not able to do, that you're not able to witness, that you're not a- Actually, it's not an action. It's something you are you are you are to be a witness you should be so full of his who he is and everything that it just oozes out of you in your conversations with people so i would say that god probably says don't make up excuses don't say well i'm an introvert or or this of that nature you may have you may have struggles with getting into conversations with people but like i said if you even if you're an introvert i didn't talk to anyone when i was a kid i'm talking about no one I, didn't, I was scared to talk to people in general. I just didn't talk to people. 
But what will wake you up is when you have friends or close relatives and things of that nature that die. And you feel insufficient that you didn't even open your mouth about things. It's, it's like I said before, if you see people walking off the cliff, it doesn't take a ton of boldness to go stop them. If you care about people's life at all, you'll go run over there and grab them with everything you are. If they're still trying to jump off the cliff, you'll jump in front of them. You'll try to block everything you can possibly do to keep them from jumping off the cliff. That doesn't take a ton of boldness. Boldness, I see, is you pray for boldness and you just have no disregard. You just talk to everyone. When Paul prayed for boldness, he wanted to go as far as he could unless God stopped him. He was going to tell everyone about Jesus unless God stopped him. And he did a couple of times. He wouldn't let him go to certain places. And he would keep him from going to those, those countries. And God had to hold him back if he didn't want it going to a certain place. That is boldness. But I think we need to pray for compassion and eyes to see that these people are walking off the cliff. The thing is, like I told our, small, our, 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 our discipleship group, there are so many tools in the toolbox of evangelism. Um, you can use uh, relational um, evangelism, and that's going to happen. You'll have long periods of time where you've been working with someone for a long time telling them about Jesus, telling them about church, telling them, answering questions, and it'll take a long time. But this is what I want to put deep into our hearts, that I think if we're going to err on one side or the other, I think we ought to err on this side of urgency. How many of you know the day of your death? None of us in here know the day of our death. How many of you know the day of the, de uh, the, the, the death of your friends or family, the people that we named the ones you know that are lost in your family, the ones that you know in, at your workplace that are lost, the ones that you know that you go to school with that just, man, they don't have Jesus at all. Okay, I asked the discipleship group this last week, what would you do if you knew that person was going to die sometime tomorrow? How, how would you do? What would you do in your prayer life? What would you do about witnessing then? Like, I want you to really process through that. I want you to really think, like if you knew for a fact God sent an angel or something to you and said, so-and-so is dying before the end of the, the day tomorrow. They're going to die tomorrow. How would you act? How would that change the way you look at evangelism or change the way you looked at the gospel? Would you be a little more bold? You would. You would be praying we had one person, one one person in the group say, "Well, I would I would have a prayer I would have a prayer vigil," and then other people, well, "I would go drive over there right now." Like, you would, but see, the thing is, we don't know when those people are going to die. So, if we're going to err on one side or the other, err on the side of urgency. If they get angry, fine, work out the details later in the relational. Well, this is why I said that. I wanted you to go ahead and know, because I just don't, you know, you go ahead and put it out there. Err on that side. Let them get angry. It's, it's not worth their eternity for them to, you know, miss the boat, so to speak. Off the rabbit trail. A good one. A good rabbit trail. <laughs> but um, stop making excuses that you're not able. He doesn't need your ability. He only requires your availability. He doesn't want your ability I know a lot of time we're like, well, I'm not able to say the wrong thing. I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing. He doesn't want your ability. What did he go? He went and got the fishermen. He got the ones without all the smarts, all the book smart. He, he wants your availability. He doesn't, I know, how, how many of you pay attention to church signs sometimes? I look at church signs. Some of them are really cheesy, but some of them are good. I would say 95% of them are cheesy. And I'm like, weird brothers and sisters. We got weird family members. Who comes up with this stuff? But anyway, I've seen some really good ones. And one that I've seen before is he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And that's true. He doesn't call the people who are already equipped and ready to go. Sometimes he does because he wants something done really quick. But most of the time he's going to equip the people who are called. Ask yourself this question. Have I made myself available? Have I made myself available um, for the gospel's sake. Uh, when I'm at work, when I'm at school, do I make myself available for his use? Have I made myself available? If I see someone sitting over there and they look like they're by themselves, just to go over there and ask them how their day's been. 
And, and like we, me and Choke have both said, evangelism is a lot about listening. Just listen to what they have to say to you. You have two ears for a reason. Two ears and one mouth. Listen to their story. And uh, let God lead it. Let God lead it. Have you made yourself available? The next point is, He chose us, not we Him. He chose us. We didn't choose Him. Um, I'm not going to get in a huge tangent about that, but he, it says, follow me, he told them. He went to them, you, follow me. He chose them out. The normal way all of this went down is that when you were among the best of your class, you applied to the rabbi, like we said, and if he liked what he saw, he'd choose you back. He'd see these people, oh, man, I like that. I'm going to choose him back. And it was because they applied themselves. His selection gave a great deal of confidence to these people. Um, when Jesus went out to these people, or these guys, they weren't looking for him. They weren't sitting at his feet at all. You know, remember how I said they, would, they wanted to go further? They'd go find the rabbi, and they would go sit at his feet and hope and pray, like, maybe he'll pick me to be a disciple. These guys weren't even looking for Jesus. They weren't sitting at his feet. They weren't looking to go any further. Jesus came to them and said, you come, you come follow me. You're going to be one of my disciples. But you imagine the confidence these guys got when they, they heard Jesus say, you come follow me. They're like, what? Like he thinks, he thinks enough of me to go follow him? See, he started, he started the process way further back than them sitting at his feet. They didn't even come there. They, they weren't there at his feet. They came, he came seeking them when they weren't even looking some of you like might be struggling now with certain things. Think about the thing that you have in your mind, the thing you have in your life right now that you're really having a hard time with. It might be your marriage, it might be your job, it might be parenting. But you go back to this fact of my salvation wasn't me choosing him or sitting at his feet hoping that he would just save me. He he if 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 you're his disciple and you find yourself bearing fruit, He chose you. Let that take the weight off of you. In John, John 15, 16, Jesus said it very plainly, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. This should give us incredible, incredible confidence in Jesus. To know that he chose me no matter, I mean, I was the lead, I, I don't know anything. Like, why would, he, why would he choose me to be his disciple? It should give you credible confidence in him. The responsibility, let me put this on, let me put this on you. I, I grew up um, in a culture of, you had, if you were going to witness, you had to do everything exactly right. And if you didn't, you were going to screw up and they might go to hell because of something you said wrong. I want to take that off of your shoulders today. Go ahead and take it off. Leave it in the seat. We'll clean up later. Don't take it home with you. The responsibility of people getting saved is not on your shoulders. Who was it that chose them? Who? Jesus. Right. He chose them. He, chose his, he chooses his disciples. We just have to be faithful to preach the gospel. His primary call is not to do something. It is, it is to become just like him. Remember how he said those guys, the, the young boys, whenever they wanted to find a, find a rabbi, they, their whole goal was to be just like him. To become like Jesus, you have to know him. And to know him, you have to know his word. And that comes through weekly messages, discipleship groups, special studies like these guys do at, at Solutions and other places. And you might want to get together at coffee shops. That's how you get to know our Jesus. This is how you get to know him deeply. So the next point is to follow him. To follow Jesus, we have to leave all. We have to leave everything. That was in the passage there that immediately they left and went with him. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So what does that mean? What do those two things mean? What does that represent in not just their life, but what does that represent in your life? The boat would be, they left their boat, they left their career, they left their livelihood 
to go be a disciple, to follow after him, to be just like Jesus. They left their livelihood, and it says that they left their father. They left their father. They, leave, they left their most significant relationships behind to go follow Jesus, to be just like him, to do everything just like him. To follow Jesus, he has to take priority or precedence over both of those things to follow him. Nothing else can come before him in those things. Most of you won't literally lose a father or mother over the gospel. That usually, it could happen, but usually that happens in other places where you'll lose your family for the, for the name of Jesus. Um, for some of you, it, God may tell you to change careers. You might change career. You might end up going off on, uh, God may tell you to quit, move up north, or uh, be a part of a church plant uh, in some other part of the country. You have to leave your job. Uh, you leave your career behind. You leave your family behind to go do those things that God is calling you to do. For many of you, it probably won't be that dramatic. You'll have moments where you have to decide which holds greater sway in your life. Which, is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be these things going on in my life? But you have to sit there and, and think, am I going to follow him no matter what? The next point is he commands us to spiritually reproduce. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was a fisher of men. He went out and he had those conversations with people. He was looking to, for his disciples. He chose out the disciples. He was looking for those things. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But he, already, he already knew that they were fishermen. They knew how to fish. He's like, you, you're doing all this? I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to go find people for my kingdom. They were probably like, that's a little weird. But he's one of these rabbis. Maybe I'll learn something here. Like, I'll just, okay, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with him. Following Jesus means that you subject everything in your life to him as king. You, you, you subject everything. Forsake all that he has forbidden and pursue all that he has prescribed for you in your life. Just like he was the fisher of men, his, follow, his followers would become the same way. He, they would become fishers of men. It's, a, it's, an, it's an essential part of being a disciple. It's not a, something that only certain people do. Some people think that, well, I'm not a preacher. I can't go around preaching the gospel to people. Uh, this is not something that's just for a certain group of people. This is for every single person. There's no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian in the kingdom. If you are a disciple of, of Jesus... You reproduce disciples. You make disciples. You go and tell or you either tell them to come and see. You go and tell them the gospel. This is urgent. I've got to tell you. Or you say, come and see. Come and see what God is doing. You do one of those two things with the gospel in making disciples and preaching the gospel to people. There's no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. So how do you prove yourself as being a Christian or as being a disciple of Jesus. How do you prove yourself? How does this prove yourself? By bearing fruit. We talk about this all the time. You'll hear these things. You'll probably hear it more and more uh, all the time. Just fruit. It's, you bear fruit. You're, you're to bear fruit. You, I, uh, a few months ago, I think it was, I said, how many times have you seen a tree like straining to bear fruit to try to pop it out? You don't. You just spend time with him and you bear the fruit. You hold the fruit there. And if you're not bearing fruit, you have, you have reason to question whether you're a disciple at all. That's the point that Jesus gives us, that if you don't have fruit, then if you don't have peaches on your, and you're a peach tree, then what, you're not a peach tree, you're just a tree there. You're, you're not really doing what you're called to do. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to have fruit that Jesus has. You're going to have the spiritual fruit that, that he gives you. In John 15, 8, Jesus said, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That is how you are pro proven to be his disciple. You bear much fruit. And the fruit comes from God. It doesn't come from us trying to strive to get that fruit. It comes from his spirit in us and through us doing these things. But Jesus tells us how to bear fruit and what that fruit looks like in the Great Commission. 
I know you've heard this your entire life, but don't let it go in one ear and out the other. This is straight from our king, from the commander, from the master, from our rabbi. If we want to be like him, we're going to do what he says here. If we want to have the dust of his feet all over us, we're going to do it this way. It says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore, as you're going, we've, we preached that before, as you're going in your life, as you go at your workplace, at school, in your family, when you're eating dinner with them, when you meet them uh, for other places uh, to get together, whether it's over coffee, as you go, make disciples of all nations, all kinds of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you because you want to make disciples. He wants you to make disciples. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Man, if there's any kind of confidence builder, what more do you need? He says, I'm with you always. He says, go, go make disciples. Go preach the gospel. I'm with you always. I'm with you as you're doing it. As you go, I'm with you. The main verb of that is make disciples. We, we've said that that's our main goal here, which means that everything we do grows out of the call to make disciples. Everything we do as a church is to make disciples, whatever it is. If it doesn't aim towards making disciples, then I think me and Chuck both agree that it doesn't need to be at the church. Everything that the church does as a function needs to be aiming towards proclaiming the gospel and making disciples for our king just as he did. Jesus, Jesus summarized his entire ministry as king, as our king, as the rabbi. He, he summarized everything he did by this passage in Luke 19.10. And you've heard it before. It says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I'll say it, I'll say it one more time. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And if we are going to be his disciples, that's how our lives are to be summarized too. Going to seek after those who are lost. Pray for them. Like we said before, pray for them. Intercede on their behalf. See them. In, in imagining in your mind, they're headed towards the cliff. I don't know when they're going to get there go to them or if it helps you you see people walking off in front of a bus and you know that they're going to get hit you know it's you know it we know scripture well you know that much because you know it when you got saved if i don't have jesus i'm going to hell i'll suffer the wrath of god for eternity we know this for lost folks we know that and we don't know when they're going to die let that let it bother you I have to remind myself of that too because I've had too many people in my life that's just gone left and right and you just didn't know. You didn't see them see it coming. Not, it's not morbid. It's just the, it's the reality of life. It's the reality and the nature of the gospel. Don't, don't waste time with it. I've found out that if you waste time telling them the gospel, it'll get harder and harder the longer you wait. Because you'll start taking interest in other things and you'll get wrapped up in the other things of maybe college football or, or NFL and then all of a sudden you just have to backtrack and try to figure out how do I get to the most important thing and then it gets really hard. You meet someone, just go ahead and tell them. Tell them what God has done to you in your life because you know what happened to you. You knew that you were a sinner. You knew that you weren't good enough to go to heaven. You knew that anything that you did to work towards that was not any good. You know that it says in Isaiah that my good works or my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You know all those things. Help them to see it. That's all. That's all you do is help them to see it. Push them along a little further. If we are disciples, that's how we'll summarize our lives, to seek and save the lost. Here's a quote from uh, Robert Coleman. He wrote a book 
on evangelism, and he hit the nail on the head here. He says, I want you to pay attention to this. If you're writing anything down, try to get the gist of it because it's a little bit longer. It's a quote from him. He says, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. Individual men and women are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, it's someone. So to conclude the whole thing, you are God's method. If God's going to go out with the gospel in the world, He's not going to come down all ways and zap people over the head. What does the verse say? Faith comes by what? And hearing by the... How do they hear without a preacher? You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Preach the, preach the gospel. Go and preach the gospel. To, it's just proclaim. You proclaim all the time. We've said this in other sermons. When you enjoy something, you do what? You talk about it. If you enjoyed the Clemson game last night, you're going to talk about it. Right? That's simple. If you enjoy the Patriots like Sarah, she loves the Patriots. She's going to talk about it. Right? You enjoy it. Yeah, but I mean, she enjoys it. So, But get that. If, you enjoy it, if we're not talking about Jesus, this goes for me and Chuck too. If we're, if we're not talking about Jesus, we're not enjoying him enough. We're not spending time with him enough. We're not close enough behind him that the dust is getting on all over us. Because remember, he summarized his whole ministry by the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What other purpose would he have for us than to increase the kingdom and save those to whom he came to save? And he's going to use you to do it. You are God's method. I think me and Chuck both agree that we want to see you become like this, obsessed about the gospel. You, you become obsessed about the gospel and you're telling everybody you think we're going to say anything derogatory about it? We're going to fan the flame. Like here, go talk to them. Go talk to them. We'll sit there and blow on it all day long. We'll let you burn the whole city down with the gospel, like with your flame, to go to tell it anyone. We'll, we'll encourage it all day long. We want to see you commit to it. Put it ask yourself in your heart, can I, I'm going to commit to it. I want to be the disciple. I want to be just like my rabbi, my master. I want to be just like him. I want to have his dust all over me. Commit to it. Me and Chuck want to celebrate with you every little victory, every little victory. And the thing is, don't let it intimidate you. We've said that earlier. Don't let the whole thing intimidate you. Satan would love to intimidate you and make you think it's some thing that's too big for you to handle that you can't do. Okay, the truth about it is, it is too big for you to handle. You're not saving anyone. Remember what I told you to leave in the seat? Take it off your shoulders the weight of the world of saving the whole world is not on your shoulders. The only thing you have is being faithful to open your mouth with the gospel. Being faithful. Disciple making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you did. How you came to know the Lord. Share your story. Help them to see the things that you saw, that you understood by the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised to help you. So I want you to, if you haven't found your one, identify that person. Identify that one that you're going to be laser focused on. And ask God to help you through the whole thing with the Holy Spirit. And He will help you. He will be there with you. He says, I will never leave you or, nor forsake you. Pray for that person that you would be able to bring that one person to Christ. No matter what the time is. If it takes you to the end. <laughs> the end of your life and that person becomes saved and comes into the kingdom would it not be worth it ask yourself that would it not be worth it that that one person's eternity has been changed it's worth it someone prayed for you someone talked to you about the gospel they gave it to you 
Can you imagine what it would look like? I want you to imagine with me. Can you imagine what it would look like if, if every one of the people here at Heritage did this? They had that one person and they're committed to, I'm going to pray for this person. And I'm going, to, I'm going to tell them about the gospel. And I'm going to intercede for them on their behalf. And I'm going to ask God to break their heart. And I'm going to stay after it day in and day out. Can you imagine what it would look like if Heritage did this? And asked God repeatedly, God, give me one person I could bring to Jesus. Just one. Just one. Just one person. If everyone made it their goal, if each one person committed to reach that one person, are you a disciple? Ask yourself that question. Are you a disciple like we described today? Jesus chose you out to be his. Sit at his feet. Be like him. Go out to seek and save the lost. And if you're not a disciple and you don't think you're a disciple, and we're looking for that one. The one could be you today. And that's fine. It's great. It is great. We'll talk to you all day long about it. Don't be embarrassed. It's a serious thing. You might be the one today. Come, come to Jesus. Let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, we, <clears throat> we, lo- we love you and we're thankful that you had grace and mercy on us, that you came to us when we weren't even looking for you. We didn't even know what you were truly about. The scales were still on our eyes. But Lord, you, you clarified. You showed us your glory. Lord, I pray that you would turn us around and make us disciples of you, that we would be just like you, that we wouldn't be in love with a thought about you, that we would be in love with you, And that we would follow you every step that you take. So much so that people will say to us, you're too much like Jesus. You're too much. Like people say, no, you're just extra. We want to be extra about Jesus. We want people to think that. But Lord, put a deep compassion within within us here at Heritage myself included, that we would stop people from walking off the cliff into eternity. That we would focus on those one people, the one, our one, our one person. And that we would beg God to save them, that they would be in the family, and that you would enable us to do so. Lord, in the coming weeks, Lord, show us practical ways of how to, how to apply this and how to think of it deep, in, in a deeper way. In Jesus' name, amen.